what sticks out is, you know, bumpers. When I'm thinking about this book and I'm thinking about the difference between what we do as, as leaders, leaders in our own organization, and then what we do as coaches, I, I do think that there's a little bit of a bifurcation. It's sort of bringing what I'm, what I'm thinking about there into the, the coaching world and the coaching realm. But as I'm reading it, I'm thinking about myself as a leader and the people and my peers that I'm working with. It's, I should take off the bumpers. Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. NCG Book Club returns again, and we hope our listeners are enjoying these conversations as much as we are and that it's encouraged some of you to pick up these books to dive into the content firsthand. This month, we're discussing our thoughts on part one of Coaching for Breakthrough Success, Proven Techniques for Making Impossible Dreams Possible by Jack Canfield and Dr. Peter Chi. For those that have listened to our prior episode on the role of the coach with Brian Nolan and Paul Cook, you'll recognize this book title and alignment of that conversation and its teachings. Canfield and Dr. Chi deliver what they believe to be the top 30 coaching principles that every coach needs to practice in order to succeed. During our conversation, our team highlights what principles hit home to them, those that we might look to improve upon, and some that we might consider challenging. These principles are all-encompassing, from breaking down the critical steps needed to build relationship and trust, asking what does it mean to have a coaching spirit, the power of listening and intuition, asking the right type of questions, and when. It is impactful to use these guiding principles and apply them to the continuing growth of our own practices. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Okay, so today is May 18th, Wednesday. It's book club. And this book club, we are reviewing Coaching for Breakthrough Success, Proven Techniques for Making Impossible Dreams Possible by Jack Canfield and Dr. Peter Chi. The assignment was to read pages 1 through 98, which represent, of all the principles listed in the book, principles 1 through 20. I sent out several questions to the group uh, with the goal of eliciting uh, thoughtful comments, and thank you all for doing that. Uh, The comments were, in fact, uh, very thoughtful and thought-provoking, and so I sent out an outline prior to this meeting, albeit on short notice, uh, but an outline prior to this meeting with our discussion starters. So I'm going to go through each of the questions that I asked. I've got a couple people that I've asked to speak. I'll I'll highlight a couple people and then I'll open it up to general discussion. The first question that I asked was, what principle do you most agree with, like or identify with the most and why? And the honor of starting off our discussion goes to Sydney. Thank you. Yes. So Sydney, tell us what you wrote. So for this question, pretty much the entire chapter two, which is relationship and trust, um, spoke to me pretty heavily. Um, I think in my personality type, you know, being a higher eye, this is what we we live for. But in terms of a coaching relationship, this is the foundation, as the author talks about, of 
you know, getting vulnerability. Um, and I think also kind of leads to the difference between a consultant and a coach, where a consultant is just trying to solve problems at face value, where a coach is going deeper. Um, I think if you don't have the authentic rapport, then your relationship with somebody can be more transactional um, versus something that is truly mean meaningful for both sides. Um, and also, I was thinking about our summit member values and how the relationship and trust is kind of the bedrock of Summit and, and being vulnerable in our peer groups and our masterminds and all of the collaboration that we do between clients. Awesome job, Sid. Vulnerability was the word that really stuck out to me there um, in your, excuse me, in your response. Um, Tom, your response was also good. Could you give us a follow-up uh, to Sydney's comment? Yeah, so um, I really like the principle number three, bring out the best in people and let them lead. Um, I think it's important not to just tell people what to do uh, because then they won't be able to make their own decisions. Yet you can kind of guide them in a way to make their own decisions, but telling them what to do, they'll just rely on you to make decisions for them. Um, and they won't be, they won't be good leaders. So I think when they can make their own decisions, they gain that confidence to make those big uh, decisions for the company or for whoever, and that they'll, they'll gain confidence, become better leaders in the future. Um, and I think nowadays too, like you go into a company, you have too many people relying on you to while relying on the boss or somebody else to tell you what to do. And I just don't think that's very good because you want to be able to build that confidence to make your own decisions. Um, so letting other, letting them make their own decisions and not telling them what to do, I think is really important. So I, I see a lot of nodding, uh, in the audience. So great comments. Um, what's the impact of this? So Molly, I saw you nodding a little bit or, or feel free to raise your hand if you've got a comment, but Molly, Molly, what's the impact of this for you? Um, I, so I'm thinking back to, uh, the, the podcast episode that I did with, uh, Brian Nolan and Paul Cook regarding the role of the coach and both of them kind of sharing their perspectives on the behaviors and practices, you know, Brian from being a business coach with NCG and Paul with being a coach, but also a leader in his business. And he has to grow a team, um, as, especially as he thinks about, you know, his succession plan. He's not going to be there at a certain time frame, and to grow the confidence of of the management team to be able to figure out problems, create their own solutions without needing his direct input. Um, so letting people have the opportunity to to fail, fail forward, as you know we we talked about on that podcast. Um, but you got to give people the confidence to to make those decisions and to let them try. Uh, because one day you might not be there to answer that question for them. And then what are they going to do? I find this is one of the challenges that new field supervisors and crew leaders can struggle with sometimes because they, the instinct is to tell people what to do. As long as you're always there, that works. But if you've got to leave the work or leave the job site, you need people doing what they need to do because they want to. So you've got to, you've got to help them grow and make their own decisions. So Brian, then Maureen. You're Brian, you're on mute. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, the question, what did I most agree with? And I, I thought of this from a perspective as a leader here, 
of growing coaches, right? And so um, I, I, I really hit on principle number two, fulfillment flows from adding value. And, um, and I'll speak to uh, Covey's book, The Eighth Habit from, um, he calls it from effectiveness to greatness. And um, primary greatness for a coach is, is um, really it's about purpose. It's about uh, service above self, contribution, people that want to make a difference. Uh, we brought on coaches before that, that the, the, uh, their primary greatness was wealth and popularity position. And I always say that, you know, if you're going to be a coach, you've got to love helping other people and seeing other people. And then the benefits will come. But that really hit me hard. And then, and then uh, Patrick Lencioni in his book, uh, Motive, talks about what's the motive of a CEO. And you've got to have this, this servant leadership motive if you want to be a coach. Maureen, you had raised your hand. Yeah, uh, and, and really this, this is aligned with what Brian just said. Um, the very first principle, which is believing in the human potential for greatness, is, is foundational to all of this. And I know to an extent I'm preaching to the choir with this group because everyone here has that core belief. I mean, every single person here is a people person and believes in the good of others and in themselves. But none of the other principles um, really will come into play if you don't have that foundational belief that people are, are good and, and have potential, have great potential. So that was my number one primary foundational thing um, for all coaches. Awesome. I have to admit some days I believe better than others. <laughs> all right. So this is good stuff. Yes. If, if we want people to make their own decisions, we've got to coach them. We have to help them learn how to make their own decisions. Uh, that said, uh, does this always apply? I don't know. So what, what principles did you not agree with or maybe don't apply or in certain situations? So in, in full or in part and why? Uh, so my discussion starter here, Brian, if you could start us off with your comment. Yeah, not to uh, disagree with my buddy Tom on this, uh, but I, I was looking at um, principle three, bring out the best in others and let them lead. I, I, I mostly agree with that, but I, I think it needs asterisks by it. Um, uh, I think it's really a dance. Um, at, at different times, we need to lead them. We need to bring them back to where they want to go. We, we start with their primary aim, and then we need to constantly bring them back to that. So leading is a dance. Leading them towards their primary aim is really key. Um, also establishing agenda they talk about let, let the uh, person being coached do that. I believe that they need that input. I think that's a dance also. I want to give them an agenda, what I want to help them benefit, but I also need to know what's on their mind. So I, I saw that as a partnership, not just a one way. Sorry, Tom. So I, I mostly agree. To <laughs> so it's, it never ceases to amaze me how the, the other systems that we work on when they when things start to connect, you know it's an integrated system and that it works. So situational leadership, for example, I, I think is instructive here. And so where in this book 
I think the easy answer is to say that everything in this book is S3 leadership. But I, I, think, it's, I think there's more to it than that. So where do these principles fit in sort of the overarching strategy, let's say, of situational leadership and people need different things at different times? For example, I, I would start the conversation with be present and turn off your inner dialogue. Well, D2 is where people get fired. D3 is where people quit. What's D2, Andrew? So where, when you're in D2, right, for the good question. So for the benefit of the audience, so that's the disillusioned learner, the person that's now figured out this might be harder than they think or they realize or it's different from what they realize. You know, at that point, we've got to turn off our inner dialogue, maybe our expectations and say, wait a minute, let me pull back. And let me see what's really going on here. Um, Colin. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, Drew, because when I when I heard you trying to link this to SL2, I was like, well, it's, it's all S3. The more I've thought about it, and I was going to use this for a later question, what principle do I sometimes struggle with? I don't know exactly what principle it was, but he talks about how a great coach is always challenging uh, their coachee. And if things are easy, that's the sign that it's not going how it should, right? I forget which principle exactly that was. It's towards the beginning. Um, and I, that got me thinking is that's one of the things that I think I'm not great at is when things are going well, it's sometimes my mind thinks, all right, this is the time to celebrate and to enjoy in our success. But I think that I could do a better job of challenging and saying, what's next? And that's really bringing it back as for leadership. Um, so maybe one of my weakest leadership styles is as for leadership, where you are acknowledging someone's success and contribution, but at the same time, challenging them further um, and, and raising them to a new level that they hadn't maybe not even seen yet. Um, so that's that that was definitely a bit of an eye opener for me. I've heard you say it multiple, multiple times. S4 isn't no leadership. It's low leadership. Uh, so yeah. that sticks out for me. Like, too. like most SL2 principles, easy to theorize, difficult to actualize. So I don't think I do a good job of, of that at all. Um, so it's definitely a challenge and something that I, I look forward to getting better at. So I, I do see some nodding out in the audience. So help me connect these principles if we use SL2 as the bumpers for bumper bowling as the, as the guideposts. Uh, where do these principles fit in? Catherine, what, what sticks out for you? What, what sticks out is, is, you know, bumpers. Um, that's what, that's what sticks out. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's true. And so some, you know, when I, when I'm thinking about this book and I'm thinking about the difference between what we do as, as leaders, leaders in our own organization, and then what we do as coaches, I, I do think that there's a little bit of a bifurcation, right? Because for me as a coach, I'm maybe not employing, or perhaps I should be employing situational leadership with the business owners that I work with. Um, and so it, it's, it's sort of bringing what I'm, what I'm thinking about there into the, the coaching world and the coaching realm, uh, because that's, that's how I approached the book. I approached the book as a coach with clients that I'm working with, but as I'm reading it, I'm thinking about myself as a leader and the people and my peers that I'm working with. It's, so it's, a, it's a little challenging. I, I should take off the bumpers. D. 
Um, I, the thing that I struggle with is the idea of um, coaching and maybe not struggle with, maybe it, there's like a light bulb moment of coaching versus instructing or training and seeing where a person is in what they know, because this book is making the assumption that internally the person that you're coaching already knows what they want in some way, shape or form, maybe not specifically, but, but they've got uh, an end goal in mind and you're helping them move towards that end goal. Whereas when you're talking about someone who's an S2, maybe they don't, they don't have all the tools yet. Like they don't have that full knowledge where you're just trying to help them excavate um, to what they need to know, as opposed to, they just don't have it yet. Does that make sense? Oh, I'm seeing a lot of nodding in the audience on that one. I think that was a great point. So let's keep pushing the ball a little forward here. Uh, all right. So what principles do you feel strongest at? We've, we've laid out what we like and don't like. We've applied it to a system. D, could you start us off here? What do you feel strongest at and, and why? Well, hopefully no one would argue against this, but I feel like uh, the practice um, integrity and building trust is kind of my, uh, it's, it's a cornerstone for me. Uh, knowing that uh, people who I'm working with believe that what is important to them is important to me. And so that drives me, that drives me to uh, fulfill whatever it is that needs to happen for them. If, if I need to do something for them. Um, and also uh, it drives my need to help them achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. And um, I don't know if it might be that I have this, uh, and most of you know this, I have maybe a false sense of urgency for everything. Everything <laughs> needs to get done. And so, you know, the That's why we love you, Dave. Checked. That's why we love you. <laughs> but but because I have that, I feel like that is um, a positive driver um, towards helping other people get done what they need to get done. Uh, Jim, you had an interesting follow-up to this, to this question. Yeah, yeah, no. So the, the principle I, I most felt that I was, probably had the strongest attributes for is principle four. Uh, using influence rather than position power. So this is something I always focused on as I developed as a leader throughout my career. And I, I think it correlates nicely to coaching as well, because as leaders, our job is to coach. Uh, throughout my career, I've always believed that people must want to do things for you, right? So if they, on a personal level, if they don't want to disappoint you, um, you're likely to get better results. Um, and, they, you know, the, the way by to achieve that is to um, you got to care personally. You got to achieve some rapport with them, uh, get to know them on a very intimate level, I think. Um, establish a degree of trust. I, the, the book stated it well when it talked about relational influence. Uh, and I this made me think of a, a Covey quote that I read in uh, his new book, Trust and Inspire, but really stood out to me. Uh, we don't, we don't, we do not hire people to work for us. We hire people so we can inspire them to work with us. So the collaboration aspect of it, and really the focus is like, it's our job to energize people 
um, to work with us to meet objectives. And I, I think there's a lot of similarities to coaching with that as I make my transition into coaching from like a leadership uh, leading teams position. So I think there were some interesting comments. I see some hands, <clears throat> excuse me, in the audience. So let me ask you this. I, the, the responses I got to this question, I think probably were, were very related to our DISC profiles. Some of you responded with task-oriented questions, me, or responses, me. Some of you responded with people-oriented questions. So my, my question is, and my personal struggle is balancing the two, is I love to work, and I love to work as hard as possible and accomplish tasks. And I have to remind myself, like Jim said, get to know the person, get to know the individual. And yes, you can provide value by accomplishing tasks, but you know, you can also provide value by getting to know the person and helping them as a person. I think maybe on the other side of the coin, it might be a little different. So can I invite some comments around how do we balance as coaches the desire to bring value and accomplish tasks with the, with the goal of creating relationships, Brian, you know, um, related to that, to what I think I'm strongest at, I don't, I don't know what others would say is I'm, I'm the people person. If you're a task person, right? I'm people, people focused. So my, my, my strength may be, uh, turning off the inner dialogue and being completely present in the phone call, um, not thinking about my next call or my last call. And that probably comes from my need to please. Like my, my I see nature, I being high, I wanna please. So I wanna totally understand and be present in the human being. I often wish that I could convert that to my other parts of my life and be totally present with my wife and my kids and friends, because that's the gift of 100% attention. And I think that as a leader and as a coach and as a person, if we can give the people we're in front of that gift of 100% attention, uh, then we're in the moment making the right calls. I see a, a lot of nodding. Could I invite some other comments, maybe from people we haven't heard from yet, Sheldon or Jeremy or Molly? Or Tom, Molly. Um, I think what, what, what Brian just said, the importance of being present because uh, you're coaching the whole person here. You're not just coaching the issue or towards the goal. There's so many people are complex. And if you don't fully understand what's going on with that person, what's happening in their world right now, what's happened since the last time you connected, it's going to completely affect the direction of this new conversation. So it's to, I think to add value into what the goal you're working towards, really understand where they're at personally. Uh, and that comes from needing to build some, some rapport, some, some that, that bond at the beginning of a conversation, kind of what's going on in your world. How are you really getting them to open up and tell you what's really happening? Uh, what are they really happy about? What are they really sad about? What's really frustrating them right now? Because uh, if you don't fully know that, you're not going to get authentic responses when you're asking them challenging questions. Yeah, I think that's so true, Colin. The uh, getting to authenticity, getting past games, playing games with each other, getting past that to authenticity, Colin. So I'm always concerned with providing value um, and making sure that I'm doing my, my job well. And sometimes that makes me less present in the moment because I'll hear something and I'll want to and I'll want to like, oh, I know the answer to that. 
let mm-hmm. me let me cut you off and jump in and i find myself cutting people off more than i probably should on coaching calls because i think i can solve the problem and really i need to practice patience more and be more in the moment because then i'll miss some things i'll thinking about what it is i, I want to tell them and then i'll miss what they said and then i gotta ask what they said and then they're like well you're not listening and so <laughs> uh, D. So I think along the lines of what Colin was saying, how as, as a coach, and this is because I'm very task oriented and most of my interactions have, have a lot to, are more instructional than coaching necessarily. But I'm, I'm curious, how do you not go down that rabbit hole? Like, how do you avoid the rabbit hole? Cause I'm, I'm a big rabbit hole person. Once somebody says, look at the monkey, I'm looking at the monkey and walking off and, and heading straight wherever they lead me. So how do you do that and still be performing the way or coaching with what their goals are in mind? It's a great question. Let's maybe get some initial responses. Yeah, my my first one. So, D, I'm I'm with you there. I I have a, a inner voice that says, "Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, go." Once I know the full story, it it needs to be intentional because, like Colin, I I want to immediately give them something, but I'm trying to learn how to wait till I have the full perspective of a certain situation. Maureen, you raised your hand as well. Yeah, I almost brings this back full circle, Andrew, to what you started with when you are, you know, the type of person yourself who, who makes those personal connections and, and can put the tasks secondary, then, then you knowing that about yourself, you need to, um, or it's helpful to find that balance. And like Brian has, you know, a technique. The opposite is true if you're the task focused person and you have an agenda, you have a list of things you want to, you know, bring to the table so you can bring value. As Colin mentioned, you know, you need to figure out where that person is in order to get there because the tasks aren't going to, you know, you're not going to be able to accomplish things if they're not in the right mindset. So it really is a matter of knowing yourself personally and knowing where your strengths are and then being able to to do that juggling act a little bit. Um, And that really comes with one of the later principles, which is intuition. And I think as you hone that intuition and you have to, you have to consider yourself in that balance. So we're making good time here. The next question is is the obvious follow-up, which so if if we've talked about what you feel strongest at, well, what do you feel like needs improvement? Let's skip that one for now. Cause I, I think we've all been pretty open at this point about what we're struggling with most in the interest of time. Let's jump to, so what are you going to do differently now? The whole point of reading the book, right. Is to implement something is to do something with it. Um, Jim, you had a, a great comment here about now what you want to do with this information. And I'll, I'll start with Jim, uh, head to Brian, and then I'd love to get comments from everybody, right? It, if Andrew's running the thing, right, everybody gives takeaways. It's my favorite thing as the, as the audience laughs. I appreciate that. The, Jim, um, yeah. you, you had really good things to say here. What are you going to do now? Yeah, so th- this one really 
really got me thinking. And the principle that stood out was principle seven. So a coach needs a coach. Um, so I, I think I, I've been working for 25 years and I, I think I don't, I did not do an effective job at seeking a coach or a mentor through my career. Um, a lot of academic work done on my part, but never from a professional standpoint. And I don't think I was in the right cultures that fostered seeking a coach or a mentor to really help your development, um, which serves both per professionally and personally. Um, so I, I think especially working with this group um, and, and seeing the value with some, just in three weeks that we provide for some of the clients, I think a big focus of mine is to get a coach or a mentor uh, at this point in my life. I, I think it could really benefit me um, for sure. Awesome. Bri. You know, as soon as I started reading this book, I, I had like this aha, which is consulting versus coaching and when should I do each? And what I'm going to do now going forward is be more aware of when it calls for me to tell and consult because people hire us for systems and when I'm going to hold it and coach. That awareness in the moment is so key. That applies to both me as a leader of my own business, by the way, with all of you, uh, as well as with the people that I coach. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I'm going to jump around my array here of pictures of, uh, or webcams rather. Uh, so Colin, what do you want to do now with this information? What are you going to implement in these first 98 pages? Um, for me, I want, to, I want to figure out how to ask great questions because I feel like that's something that I'm strong at already. But some of the ways they were talking about asking questions to ignite curiosity and further creativity, I don't do that as well um, as, I, as I could potentially. So definitely stay more present. Uh, everything Brian said. Uh, coaching versus consulting, um, but getting really great at asking questions that makes people think because they come in sometimes with course blinders on thinking that they know what the problem is, right? And how can I get them to see, to see things differently? Catherine. Just because I, I you know, I, I echo Colin. I think that that's my, my biggest takeaway there is making, asking the right questions so that the participants can feel like they were a part of the solution instead of the solution was handed to them. That, that does create engagement and ownership. So Colin, I'm right there with you. The, the right kind of questions to spur on the solution as opposed to, here's a pretty package, go do it. Uh, Sydney. Yeah, um, we can make a trio. That was, that was mine. Um, and I was thinking about the, the principle, powerful questions, release good solutions and how I, you know, when I'm listening, I just like to jump in and here's a solution, here's a solution, but that's not, you know, necessarily always the best thing to do. Um, and in terms of what I'm going to improve upon, I actually listened to the chapter about listening on the way in again, because I think that's the, the cause of why I'm not thinking about those powerful questions is this, uh, to lead to solutions is because I'm not truly being present and listening and formulating those questions. As soon as somebody says something, my mind goes, oh, well, you can do this. And if you do that, then this could happen. Um, and I need to, to get away from that. That list of questions in the book, several of you highlighted uh, as wanting to use, and I'm, I'm right there. I, I thought that list of, of questions to, 
to start with or use where it was really, really powerful. Um, Maureen. I'm going to jump on uh, Sydney's coattails there a little bit as well um, in the being present and, and turning off the inner dialogue. Um, I think, you know, that does lead to the better, deeper questions. And, and that's a challenge, certainly, you know, for me. Um, and I just think I would, I would have loved to have gotten some more, um, you know, concrete, how do you turn off the inner dialogue? And he just said, turn it off. And that sounds much easier said than done. So, um, and I think we have Tom and Molly left Tom. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way with Cindy, Colin and, uh, Catherine, uh, asking great questions. Uh, I think some of, you know, I don't always ask questions and, uh, with training and stuff. So. Uh, it's difficult for me because I don't want to come off like I'm not listening or I'm asking stupid questions. Uh, and I know that there's no such thing as stupid questions, but I have to constantly remind myself of that. Um, so also that inner dialogue thing, too, is, I guess, telling myself, ask these questions. You, you're going to need to know. them. So asking the great questions is something I'm going to be uh, definitely working on. If I, if there seems to be a pattern here and may, maybe if I relate it back to an SL2 thing, but spending more time diagnosing, certainly asking questions is about diagnosing. And that, that was my big takeaway was I've, I've been doing this uh, 17 years now. You think you've seen all the situations, but you know, you, there's a lot of situations you haven't seen and spending time really diagnosing. Am I a coach here or am I a consultant? Which one should I be? really spending time figuring that out. Um, Molly, and, and then if I could ask Jeremy, if, if you'd be open to sharing any of your takeaways, it'd be great. Um, Molly first. I don't want you to forget my girl D in the corner as well here. She also needs to share her takeaway. <laughs> See, I was she, being- She did. Did I skip D? You I skipped, got D. No, you skipped her. Oh and my gosh. How could I do that? I owe D coffee. So that shows I was being really present, Andrew, because I was listening to everybody's <laughs> takeaway. Nice. Because um, that's one thing. I mean, I think we we can all we can all agree on just the the need to be more present. I think and it's because we live in an environment where there's just so much happening at rapid pace all the time. Um, and so I, I don't think anybody has perfected this particular principle. Um, but just, you know, being in the moment, putting the phone away having that one-on-one, not thinking about what you have to do tonight, tomorrow. Um, for me, that's my brain's always kind of thinking about all the different directions that I need to go in. And so I need to kind of slow it down and just be moment by moment. Do you have a, do you have a being present class I could take? Apparently I need to be more present. D, I, I skipped you. How could I, <laughs> how could I do that? I need a class or something. D, takeaway. To be honest, I'm on that bandwagon of the questions, asking the right questions and to pile onto that really not making in the same way of maybe not having that inner dialogue going, but not making assumptions like, you know, time is money and we've got to come to that solution really fast and get to the right thing and, and get going on it. And, um, basically slowing myself down a bit and, and diving deeper with questions and, and using Brian's hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm going to remember that. Thank you. Brian. One last comment on, on this asking questions, because that is the most important thing that we do as a coach. Um, I think it's important to, to ask permission to, 
to ask questions, particularly when you want to peel it back um, because you want to get the other person emotionally ready for the harder questions you're going to ask. You might might peel that back and pause and go, yep, bring it in. I think that's key for the rapport. You never ask me for permission. Yeah, but you don't need rapport. You're, you're, <laughs> you know, you're Jeremy, so I just go right in. Mm-hmm. Can I go now, Andrew? Now hey, that you forgot about D. Hey, Jeremy, would it be okay if I peeled that back a little bit? We we no, haven't really heard much from I'm you today. Done. We'd we'd love to hear from you. Could I peel that back? When I I listen to this, and I appreciate Brian and Andrew telling me to put it on one point two, so that I could listen to it faster. But um, I really, actually, Brian thought about you a lot of times when I was listening to it, and and kind of thought, well, how does Brian do this? And, and we all could ask questions better, but I do think that you do a good job of that. I do, I do agree also that there are times when, when you have to tell, especially probably new people coming on. I mean, you, you have to get, you have to build rapport and ask questions with that, but there's, there's probably a lot more telling at the beginning than there is drawing out. Cause a lot of them new, new clients are not going to necessarily know what they they want so you have to tell a little more up front um, versus people who have been around a while longer or have more established businesses that you've got to draw things out but um, I really enjoyed listening to the first you know four I might think I'm on chapter four now but uh, it's it's refreshing to to listen to it you know, I haven't been coaching yet, so it's it's giving me insight going into something new um, and giving me guidance of some things of how to care for people, really. Yeah, just a comment. Jeremy, you say you haven't been coaching, but I've already noticed how you're coaching your own people differently. Um, that, that's that's yes. That's one of the biggest impacts. You know, Jeremy has a team and, he, and he's also a coach for NCG. But I think it'll change your interaction with your direct reports. No, it all, I mean, it, well, and like you mentioned about, you know, family and stuff like that. I mean, interaction with my, my oldest son, Tim, last night at home, too, made me think of things a little differently. So. So team, this was the first part in a three-part series of going through this book. There's a lot here. Uh, It's very dense uh, material. Our next section, page 99 through page uh, 198. So another 100 pages. I've read ahead a little bit. It it does start to get a little more practical in in, uh, suggestions. So I'm I'm excited to dig into that part next. But I, I think we laid a pretty great foundation. And so I appreciate everybody's participation. Thank you, Andrew. Great job. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolandcg.com.